you're listening to a remastered version of Angels and Seerstones Season 1. Compared to the original episodes, you'll find a much more professional sound. Season 2 begins on February 15th. We'll see you then. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine the lived religion of Latter-day Saints, our beliefs, and our stories. We take seriously the whole gamut of Latter-day Saint experience. Join us, Christine and Chris Blythe, two professional folklorists and Latter-day Saint converts, as we openly discuss our faith while exploring the traditions of our chosen people. Welcome to our very first episode. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. Today we are talking about a popular legend cycle in modern Saint folklore. Evil spirits show up quite a bit in LDS legends. Diabolism is alive and well, particularly in stories told by missionaries and returned missionaries. The William A. Wilson Folklore Archives at BYU is filled with the legends of missionaries facing demonic, supernatural assault and encountering the devil. We'll talk about some of these today, but first, Chris, tell us a little bit about your experience during your mission in West Virginia. Cool. So this happened in 2005 in Morgantown, West Virginia. I'd been on my mission for just about a year, and I was finally called as a senior companion. At the same time, I was called as a district leader. That means I was in charge of a few companionships in this northern West Virginia area. About three weeks into the transfer, as we call it, so just been this district leader for a short time, I get a phone call a few hours after we go to bed, so middle of the night, probably 1230. We run out into the living room, we answer the phone, and it's the elders for about 30 minutes down the road, pretty shaken up. Uh, one of the elders had been sleeping and he woke up and he was paralyzed. He couldn't move. And while he's in this condition, like a dark force comes into the room, a dark spirit, and holds him down. And he's, he's just completely frightened. He says a prayer in his mind and eventually he's released. When he wakes up, he's able to move his body, he turns over to his companion and begins to tell him what was, what happened. And then something really strange happens. An alarm goes off in the other room. They run to that room to check it, and right after that, something falls in their bathroom. And I can remember this really well. The others said that they looked in the bathroom, and they saw a darkness that seemed just tangible. They're super freaked out. It was a really creepy situation. So I told them to drive over to Morgantown. But what I remember most is hanging up the phone and just standing there and shaking. The, the fear was palpable in a way I've very seldom felt in my life. My companion and I knelt on the ground and we prayed and eventually I stopped freaking out. The next day, this companionship went and spoke to our mission president and he told them that they should be courageous, that they should go home and clean out the cobwebs in their apartment, and that they should have complete faith that they held the priesthood and that they could deal with any evil spirits that were trying to molest them. It's a scary experience. You know, I think these are fascinating because in these stories, more often than not, they seem to take place in the apartment. It's not exactly where you assume something like this is going to happen, especially sure. as a missionary. Um, in the middle of the night, they're woken up. There's this black shadowy creature or entity there ready to attack. And this is really classic sleep paralysis. 
And it comes right out of David Hufford's study on supernatural assault narratives from his book, The Terror That Comes in the Night. So I'm guessing not many of our listeners will know this work. Okay, well, Hufford's a folklorist who studied sleep paralysis, and he actually credited Latter-day Saints, believe it or not, with having some of the best examples of this sort of thing in North America. He called this particular kind of sleep paralysis the old hag, based on how people describe the experience in Newfoundland, Canada. They were literally being attacked by a witch or an old hag. Right, and we often call this to be hagrid. That's right. So Hufford says that this old hag includes sleep paralysis, being paralyzed upon awakening. You're seeing or sensing something approaching you in the room and a feeling that you're being suffocated or strangled. There are lots of accounts of the old hag in Latter-day Saint history, and I want to share another one. It's really similar to what happened to my fellow missionary in West Virginia. This is an account from Willard Richards, who's well-known in LDS church history. He was a 19th century apostle, and this takes place, he wrote in his journal, while he was on a voyage to Great Britain as a missionary, 1836. He wrote that he awoke in, quote, utmost horror. It appeared to me that evil spirits or devils had fastened on every muscle of my body, pinching it so severely as completely to stop the circulation of the fluids. And Satan himself held me so close by the throat that I was gasping for the last time. Doubtless, it would have gratified the prince of the power of the air if he could have strangled me, but the Lord suffered him not. In my folklore courses, I often ask students, the majority of them being former missionaries, if they've ever had this experience of sleep paralysis or what Hover called the old hag. And every semester I hear new stories. I think Hufford's claim that about 20% of people will sometime during their lives experience this phenomenon, thus so off when we're dealing with modern Latter-day Saints. I never experienced it on my mission, but uh, experienced for the first time not so long ago. Yeah, I've also experienced it, but, but not on the mission, thank goodness. And of course, people are experiencing this, they're interpreting it in different ways. For Latter-day Saints, the most obvious explanation is that this is an evil spirit, it's the devil. But others might believe that these are witches or alien abductions or the Mothman. Right, or a succubus or incubus. When we look at the actual stories among Latter-day Saints, we find that many are personal accounts or what folklorists call memorats. But I was really interested in the story you shared with me yesterday about one missionary witnessing the supernatural assault of another. Yeah, so this is a pretty fascinating story. It comes from 1968. It was collected by John Harris and William A. Wilson. These are two folklorists who worked at BYU. The latter has sometimes been referred to as the father of Mormon folklore. And this story is about an elder named Elder Dorsey. And in the narrative, they describe Elder Dorsey as this really deep sleeper. He never wakes up no matter what happens. You know, you could jump on his bed. He's not going to be disturbed, right? He snores really loud. Anyways, this is how they set up the story. So here we go. And one night, he sat up in bed, and he felt that he should look over to Elder Dorsey's bed. So this is Elder Dorsey's companion. And so he looked over there, and he saw a form standing over Elder Dorsey, just ready to choke him. And so he started yelling, Dorsey, Dorsey, wake up. And of course, Elder Dorsey didn't move at all. He just slept right through it. And he kept yelling at him, and he kept yelling at him, and he didn't move. And this form just kept getting closer and closer. And finally, he just yelled, Elder Dorsey, get up! And right then, Elder Dorsey shook his head and sat up in bed, and the form just disappeared. No traces of him. All right, so I found this interesting for a number of reasons, but one of them is that it's not a memoir. It's a legend. It's a story 
that someone else is recounting. We don't know who initially shared it or who experienced the sighting, but it's a story passed down. It's also tied to sleep paralysis. The second this guy wakes up, the evil spirit leaves. And I think that's really interesting, particularly because we have a sort of outsider perspective looking at the situation. Yeah, we don't usually have that. It's usually first-person narrative. Like you said, this is a legend. So yeah, it's fascinating. Many of these supernatural assault narratives do fit the category of the old hag, like your story or, or this story here. But there are others. And in some of these legends, there's the sense that the evil spirit's physically going to harm the victim. It's not that someone's almost suffocating. It's that these attacks could even be fatal. So I want to share a story that was recorded in 1968 by a freshman at BYU. Here it is. A missionary was down in the dumps about things not going right for him. So he decided to abandon everything and pray to the devil. His companion wanted nothing to do with it, so he went downstairs. A few minutes went by and he heard what he thought was a horse running down the street. When he looked out the window, he couldn't see any sign of a horse. Suddenly, the front door of the apartment flew open and in came this trotting noise, but still no horse. The noise went up the stairs and into the missionary's room. As he entered the room, he found it a mess, completely ripped apart, and the missionary's body mangled and bloody, lying dead in the corner. I think we need to come back to this in a second, but the idea that we have a depressed missionary who decides to pray to the devil seems pretty significant. One of the fascinating things about legends is that they're always changing. They're developing to take on new issues. They're addressing new anxieties, and they're reimagined for new times. Legends never stay constant so long as they're circulating. Latter-day Saints have told this particular story of a missionary whose pride leads him to be brutalized by an evil spirit for a very long time. In its earliest variants, the story was told about Sidney Rigdon, who was once a very close confidant of Joseph Smith, a member of the First Presidency, which is, of course, the highest leadership body of the church, and one of the tradition's most talented preachers. And the story goes that Sidney Rigdon angry at the saints in Kirtland, Ohio, because they wouldn't build him a house. He told them that they had lost the keys of the kingdom. That is, he was telling them the church was no longer true for them, that their baptisms didn't count, that they couldn't receive revelation anymore. Hiram Smith heard the news and fled to fetch Joseph, who was out of state. When Joseph arrived, he preached against Rigdon's pronouncement and predicted that, quote, for what Sidney has done, the devil shall handle him as one man handles another. There are many accounts of what followed. I'm going to read the one that Philo Dibble recorded decades later. It was very well known in the early 1880s. It reads, About three weeks after this, Sidney was lying on his bed alone. An unseen power lifted him from his bed, threw him across the room, and tossed him from one side of the room to the other. The noise being heard in the adjoining room, his family went in to see what was the matter and found him going from one side of the room to the other, from the effects of which Sidney was laid up for five or six weeks. Thus was Joseph's prediction in regard to him verified. So this is a story that circulated widely in the late 19th century. Like many legends, it echoes and variants down to the present. And as we often find in the study of legends, the story escalates and becomes more extreme. The missionary is not just thrown about by the devil, he is mangled and bloody. Let's share another one of these. Okay, so this story comes also from the late 1960s. But we know, and I know from my own research, that these carry into the present. This is about a missionary who was serving in Germany. A missionary decided to pray to the devil. He was staying with his companion and two other missionaries. They tried to talk him out of it, but he went ahead and locked himself in the room. After a little while, his companion heard a loud scream and a crash like something had been thrown against the ceiling. Then they heard a terrible groan. 
and everything was quiet. They rushed over and tried to open the door, but they couldn't even turn the handle. They finally prayed and decided to call the mission president. So they went to a telephone, and their mission president told them to stay right where they were until he got there. It felt a real tangible influence of evil. And when the mission president got there, they went back to the house. The mission president commanded the evil spirit to leave, and then they could open the door. They found the body of this missionary on his bed, all burned up from one end to another. And upon the wall, nine feet, they found the imprint of his body. This impression on the wall of a human body. He must have been thrown with such force that it left an imprint on the wall. So these stories are quite poignant. Uh, like much of folklore, the circulation of such legends is based in the story's ability to convey a cultural lesson or a moral, which is that however faithful a missionary may be, he or she is still susceptible to the powers of Satan. That a missionary must always remain vigilant in his or her commitment to God, not only to ensure his own safety, but the safety of his or her companion. I think that's right. You know, two stories now where a missionary decides to pray to the devil. I can't imagine a more extreme example of a missionary breaking mission rules, right? It's really the opposite of so many stories that tell us about God's protection. The classic story that probably many of our listeners will know is a serial killer is about to harm two sister missionaries, but is prevented when he sees three large men guarding them. Of course, this is an allusion to the three Nephites that become bodyguards to these sister missionaries. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, if these stories, like the one you're telling right there, promise that our children, those that we send out into the mission field, will be safe far away from home, the legend cycles we're talking about today tell us that sometimes they won't. It's a cautionary tale in which missionaries are being reminded that promises of safety are dependent upon their commitment to the rules. And you see this all over missionary folklore. That's right. There's so many different elements to the subject of Latter-day Saint mission lore and demon lore, both of which we'll come back to during this season of Angels and Seer Stones. Next time, we'll discuss relics associated with Joseph Smith's death, namely the martyrdom kings or coffin kings that some believe held healing properties. We're Christine and Chris Blythe, and you can look for new episodes of Angels and Seer Stones on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 